Hello, beautiful people. You're listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food and One Pro. I'm your host, Kat Kinsman, and my guest today is Samin Nosrat, host of Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, and the author of the book of the same name. Welcome, Samin. Oh, Kat, thanks for having me. <laughs> I knew you were going to be in the building doing a shoot that we're going to talk about in a second, but um, the second people found out you were in the building, everybody was like, I know she doesn't know me. Can I get a hug from her? <laughs> and uh, yeah, like it's that's that's the effect that you have now and that's we're going to talk about what that means in a second too but you were here doing a shoot you are the cover girl for a magazine <laughs> let's talk about that uh, a year ago did you know you would be the cover girl for money magazine I definitely <laughs> never expected this <laughs> oh my gosh uh, let's back up a year ago what was your life um, a year wait so it's f- it's February now so last February this time the day after Valentine's oh, yeah. Day last February this time I was c- I think I had just gotten home from Mexico when we were sh- when we shot our last episode of the show mm-hmm. and um, I was probably very tired and very behind on a deadline for my column <laughs> right because right, you do a yeah. lot of a lot of things yeah a lot of different things and so I think um, I was probably really grateful that we were for the most part done shooting yeah. And it was just, yeah, making a show is no joke, sister. No let's, joke. <laughs> let's talk that through because yeah. I think there's so many people who, you know, see what you do. Your show has been run away, smash, smash, smash. And, you know, it, there's, I'm, I'm sure you've got, you've heard it from all quadrants, but you've done a new and beautiful thing in, in the world of food. And, uh, did you imagine that when you were doing it? Like people see your show and they think like, oh, you know, I want to do it. It seems so glamorous. Yeah. And I think I, um, you, it, it seems exactly that glamorous. You think you want to do it because you you get what you like travel around the world and eat. it's amazing. Right. (laughs) But the reality is quite different. Yeah. And, um, and I'm and not to complain, it's just work. And yeah. so, it, but I will say we were in Japan for about eleven days, and I feel like I didn't experience Japan yeah. at all. So I need to go back on my own. You know, in Mexico, my joke is, we were there for almost two weeks, and um, I ate at Johnny Rockets like nine times. <laughs> <laughs> I yes. ate so you know, and I love Mexican food, but it was just because the Johnny Rockets was like attached to our hotel. Mm-hmm. And we'd start our days super early and get back super late. And the only food that there was left, the only place that was open was for us to go to Johnny Rockets. Like, you know, there was no, oh, the street side taco cart like you imagine. And so production is is really grueling. And it's, it's yeah, it's no joke. And um, I had so many beautiful little experiences throughout the, the grand experience. But... There's just a lot of people. There are a lot of personalities. There's a lot to accomplish. There's a lot of stuff that goes wrong that you have to fix. And you're doing it all on the road in another country with people who don't necessarily speak or understand your language or that you don't understand or speak their language. And um, it's just pretty complicated. So (laughs) I just learned a ton. Yeah. So let's talk about that being on the road thing. Um, I don't travel probably nearly as much as as you do, but I travel a lot and I get in very, you know, sort of, I, I talk, you and I talk about mental health. I talk about mental health with a lot of people and I end up in, in uh, rooms talking with people about their, their feelings and stuff. And at the same time, I'm away from my support system when I do that. That's a really hard uh, thing to do. How did you stay sane? Uh, I didn't. Yeah. Honest <laughs> I mean, answer, I which is yeah. great. I mean, I, we had enough breaks. That was, that was pretty helpful. Like yeah. we weren't ever gone for many, many, many weeks. We yeah. were sort of gone for two weeks and would come back. And two or three weeks is about the maximum that I can be gone without like completely losing my mind. Yeah. Being and in so, your own bed yeah, is... I just want to be home in my own bed by the end of that. Um, but I learned over time just little things that I could do that I, I grew up in a family and a culture that a lot of things were pretty. And also because my family was an immigrant family, like there were a lot, there was a lot of austerity in certain ways. And, um, I would say like what is now called self care was considered a luxury, you know? Yes. And so, um, or even in totally indulgent. So I've had a lot of like undoing psychologically to, you know, I've done a lot of work to try to realize that, the things that I I might think of as indulgences are actually just necessities to keep me going because I am trying to 
not lose my mind. <laughs> right. I, you know what? I am right there with you. I grew up Catholic school, 12 years. And in a family, like my, my grandfather was first generation. Um, actually, yeah. And my, I think my grandmother too. And you weren't kind to yourself. I remember he uh, got my parents their first car and they weren't allowed to have a radio in it because that's too much of an indulgence. And my dad had to sort of teach my mother, like, it's okay to want something nice, to do something nice. Can you talk about that 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 process of not just thinking you have to work all the time and you can... Yeah, I mean, it's it's a journey because I, I definitely... And it's very complicated because I, my work is sort of just being me. Yes. And my work is really fun in a, most of the time. So it's can be really hard for me to draw boundaries so that's something I think is ongoing for me to learn le to learn and probably I'll be learning that lesson for the rest of my life um but I would say the main thing has been going to therapy oh, and have and therapy. like yeah therapy has taught me so much and my therapist has really coached me because even then once I started to think uh if I likened self-care to an indulgence then I thought all indulgences were self-care yeah. you know there was a way and so I had to start realizing like oh actually self-care rarely when it comes to like he would sort of forbid me from anything that was food related in self-care yeah no, that <laughs> because he was like you have work. yeah he just was like you need to think of other ways to take care of yourself that have nothing to do with this whether that means going to get a foot massage or I don't know going for a walk or you know, making yourself a cup of tea you know or spending time with some babies or whatever like it just you and so I'm still constantly um, searching for those things that bring me a little bit of joy or the fact we're just creating a day-to-day -day life that isn't a struggle like that everything doesn't yeah. have to be a challenge or a struggle oh my gosh I do you like if something becomes easy I up the difficulty level of it totally <laughs> and that I mean and that comes you know through families mm -hmm. I, I think where you were taught like my my mother and her siblings uh weren't allowed to have summers off they had to go to school they had to you know do all the all the things to that really gets bone deep it really it's so built in it's so so built in for me that if I didn't work hard for it I didn't earn it yes or it wasn't worth anything if it didn't cause me pain yeah and I think I'm I'm and I'm still I'm trying to unlearn that and I I've come a long way and I still have a long way to go you're doing the work and that's a tremendous thing and and how did you if and you can answer this or, or not but how did you decide to go to therapy oh my best friend forced me to <laughs> <laughs> what did the conversation look like I mean I I looking back I, I've probably been depressed ever since I was like 18 or 19 yeah. um and I don't I don't think I had the words for that or or could have recognized that on my own and and usually what I thought to myself was like for for me the way I, I felt mostly was that I had like a huge stone in the yeah. pit of my stomach and that I remember there were like I remember being like 22 and waking up every morning and the first thing I would do is catalog all the things I needed to worry about that day. Yeah. So that I could at least like <laughs> get them in order. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then and then something about having a list made it a little bit easier to mm -hmm. then go into the day. And then um and then when I was probably in my late 20s, I think it was just probably getting my anxiety was getting really untenable and my best friend he was just like he comes from a big jewish family and that they were like have been going going to therapy <laughs> since the beginning of time you know and so for him he was like you have to go to therapy and i said i don't know what you're talking about we do yoga i was like oh, we do yoga yeah. we are self-aware <laughs> like we don't i don't need therapy and he was like no you absolutely it's not the same you need to go to therapy and and I didn't know what that meant or what it looked like. or, like, or I'm not crazy. I, it wasn't so much that. I don't know. I just felt like I'd already been doing some sort of a work. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And so then he basically. So his partner, his boyfriend picked up the phone and called his therapist. So his yes. boyfriend's therapist. And um, and like made me leave him and handed me the phone, made me leave a message. Yeah. And then when the therapist called me back, I said, oh, you know, I, I, I need some sort of help. I'm feeling all this kind of anxiety. And he said, oh, I probably can't take you on, but let me talk to you and see yeah. if I can recommend somebody for you. That's a great yeah. strategy. It was great. And so then we talked. And in the end, he was like, actually, I do think we'd be a good fit. So I started going to him. And I have the rare, what I understand to be the rare experience, which was that the first person I saw 
really was a good fit yeah and that i i have like that's been my therapist Mm -hmm. now for 10 years and so and i am so grateful and he's been a really important force for good in my life but always when i'm uh, even just yesterday a friend was texting me and I've been trying to like help her get a, get a therapist. And she said, I've, I've left messages for over a dozen people it's and so nobody's weird. calling me back. And at this point, like, she's like, I really wish I could have a female therapist. But at this point, I feel like that's even too much to ask. And I said, no, don't worry. Like, we'll keep looking. So I co- sort of like sent some messages out. <laughs> I'm like the Craigslist for therapy. No, I am too. I'm like, I feel like I'm a ther- therapy doula yeah, or yeah, something yeah. like that. Like, how, I mean, it's such a scary thing to make that initial thing. I've been going since I was like 14 and mm-hmm. there really was no choice because I was so low and depressed and stopped going to school. I couldn't function. So I really didn't have the option. And it's actually a really incredibly great thing because I learned the vocabulary and the coping Mm -hmm. strategies early on. Later when I wasn't on my parents' insurance Mm -hmm. and wasn't on, you know, didn't have school insurance, you have to figure out how to pay for it. And that's a tough one. Yeah. That's a scary one for me, especially because there have been, I mean, now luckily I, I, have pretty steady and great income, so mm-hmm. I feel good. But You're there on the were cover all, of money magazine. yeah, I'm on the cover of money. Ma- I actually, when they called, I was like, "Don't you guys know I don't have that much money?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but in the beginning, my therapist and I agreed on a rate, and then there were some very lean years that yeah. I had, which became this awkward thing because I was really anxious about money. And I would complain about it in therapy, you know, or just like be talking about how freaked out I was about not being able to pay my bills. And then um, eventually, but to me, it, it, I knew that therapy was so important that it never occurred to me to not go or yeah. to not pay. I just was like, what else do I have to cut out of my life? And at some point, this just speaks to how great he is. He was like, it's getting really uncomfortable. Like, we need to address this. You need to take a, I'm going to cut your rate. So he cut my, he for, cause he knew that I would never ask him to, to do that. Mm-hmm. So he didn't give me a choice and he forced me to cut my rate. And then only once I got my next like big, you know, when I sold my book or whatever, yeah. I can't remember what the money was that came, then did he allow me to go back up. And then once I started making more money, I was like, oh, you know what? Now I can afford to pay you even more. So please allow me to do that. I think a lot of people don't know about sliding scale and yeah. the fact that your know, therapy can be negotiated um, sometimes. I tell restaurant people a lot, especially when I talk to restaurant owners, they want to take care of their people. I'm like, find a regular of yours who's a therapist, let them eat for free periodically and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and exchange, you know, coping sessions or something like that with mm-hmm. people. There's, That's a great idea. There's a way to do it. And I also just want to give a shout out to Crisis Text Line. Um, it's a great 24-7 free service manned by volunteers who have been trained. I have been trained there. You go through 30-some hours of that and you can text 741-741 any time of day or night and somebody has a text conversation with you. Oh, and wow. Gets you to a better place. That's great. can help you get things in there. I just wanted to give them a shout out because I think <laughs> the work they do is so important. Um Listening to you, it sounds like you, a, a bit of self-care you do for yourself is hanging around with people who have your best interests at heart, from a friend who sends you to therapy to his boyfriend who sends you to his, to, you know, good therapists. Like, how, how did that come together for you, getting your Trial and error. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But, like, that comes together for, like, you know, putting together your production team for your yeah. TV show. Yeah. Or- I feel like I – everything I do in my life, I feel like I'm circling around in a spiral, getting ever closer to the same lesson over and over again, yeah. which is to surround myself with good people. And that that is one of the most – that's probably the single most important variable in my life for my happiness in my work and in my life is to, ha- like, have – good people around me and that's not to say like we never have strife or you know we always agree or anything like that it's just I um I'm sort of detoxifying my life (laughs) and that's been a very long journey and probably will continue to be for me I think because there have been plenty of toxic forces and sometimes for me and I think like most people who sort of are in those situations, it takes a long time to recognize what what is toxic. Oh, the patterns. <laughs> and so um, and so, yeah, I'm still learning and I probably will be learning. But I also have always thought of myself as like a collector of good people, yeah. you know, and I always am like meet people and they're really good at what they do or they're really wonderful or both or they're just really special and generous and kind. And I'm always like, OK, like you're a person I would like to do something with. And so they yeah. kind of go into my mental file. And then later when I need to do something or want to do something, it's like, oh, I call up that person. You would be so great to collaborate with. And so and I'm just getting 
better at being a com- like I'm trying to improve as a communicator yeah. and as oh, a collaborator. I suck at and so <laughs> my friends will tell you. Yeah. And so I think and I think certainly in friendship and definitely in in like work relationships that that I has proven to be a really important thing. And so when I meet people who aren't transparent or who can't communicate, mm-hmm. that's super frustrating for me. And so now you you've had this show that came on and your book had already done tremendously well. It you know, it changed the face of how so many people think of cooking, how they approach cooking. I remember the first time I saw it and I was like, this is the book of the year. Clearly, the way that you broke it down, you are a teacher deeply and fundamentally. And the way that you were able to communicate that, that's such a that's such a huge thing. So you already had this, you know, success, but then you were available to a much wider audience on Netflix. And I imagine there's been a tremendous reward in that, but it also manifests in you're becoming a very public person who people probably think that they know. And that, can we talk about what that looks like? Because you mentioned, you mentioned your name to anyone and people just go like, Sami, and, (laughs) you know, and, and it happens, you know, whether it's people sort of who I know, or you just like hear your name in the cosmos and, (laughs) and people universally have this reaction to you. How do you protect the self that you are and not and, and keep people at a at a healthy distance? How I'm learning. I have really bad boundaries, so yeah. it's hard. Um, I think part of it is making sure I have good people around me to help yeah. with that, you know, and making sure that the people who are close to me are really trusted. So that's that's one part of it. Um, it's complicated because I love that people have such a warm relationship and response to me. And also, I am just a regular human who's flawed and grumpy sometimes and tired and wants to just go to the coffee shop in my pajama pants, you know, or whatever. But like, there's now just kind of a different sort of eyes on me. I can't even imagine going out to uh, being Mm. you and going out to eat at a restaurant. Yeah, restaurants are complicated. Yeah, restaurants are hard because I mean, it's like ground zero in a way, you know? Yeah, Yeah. people want (laughs) to. And so, and it's, and it's also can be so wonderful because people want to share what they're doing with me. And, and I always try to be really kind and generous, you know, and so grateful for what's happening. But sometimes you just want to, like, have dinner with your friend. And I'm realizing that that is much less possible for me now. And yeah. so um, there, I'm definitely mourning the loss of, an, of a kind of anonymity that is really, um, I've had my, you know, we all have had our whole lives and all of a sudden I don't. And so I, I did just take a break. I went to the desert where, like, you watched Gilmore oh, Girls. Yeah, I watched a lot of and like people didn't really have um, Netflix there. So it was nice because people didn't really know who I was. That was kind of a beautiful breath of fresh air. <laughs> but um but I I'm I'm just learning. I'm learning. And it's hard also because another part of it which is complicated is like nobody wants to hear me complain about having my own show. Because golly, so, you have a charm. Yeah. And so and it's not that I I'm complaining, it's just part of the reality of it. Mm-hmm. And so um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, an, it's a weird, it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. You're somebody who I, I want to bubble wrap and protect yeah. <laughs> in, in a lot of ways, because I know that also you being on camera opened up a whole conversation of who gets to be on camera, who, you know, who, who, who are the faces who will do this. And so much pressure must be put on you for you know, being a woman and, you know, being from the culture you're from and stuff like, and I think it, a lot is placed on your shoulders. It feels like. Um, yes and no. I mean, I put a lot of that on my own shoulders and, um, but also I, I don't know. And maybe this is just like, my brain doesn't work in this way. I don't feel like I represent everyone. I feel Mm -hmm. like I represent myself. I feel really glad that I, um, have offered something different than Mm -hmm. like what has historically been available. And, but I'm very aware that I'm just the first of hopefully many, you know, many, many, many. And so, um, and, and, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I also don't read press. I don't read That's comments. That's really healthy. Yeah, I don't really. I've like very much sh- sort of shrunken away from mm-hmm. from social media in in big ways. I don't really let a lot of that stuff doesn't reach me. Yeah. So that's, that's, and that's a big coping mechanism. It's protecting myself from that stuff. And the thing is, is almost all of the comments and press have been overwhelmingly positive. I honestly have not seen a single negative thing. But even that, I just, it's too much. You don't want to think about yourself in the third person. I'm just one person. And another thing, like I was just, this is something I think about all the time is, you know, I'm just one person who doesn't look like 
who has historically come yeah. before who got an opportunity and was able to show up. And yes, like I happen to have the skills to be good on camera mm -hmm. and, you know, be a good teacher or whatever. But um, again, I'm just one person. There are, I'm sure, way more skilled people at it who have not yet been found. And so I keep thinking, like, what about all of those like black people, brown people, non-gender conforming people, you know, or gender non-conforming people? Like, what, what about all of those other people who look different? who have not yet been found, who are probably way better than me. <laughs> you know, like, when do we get them? You know, this could yeah. be so, well, first of all, like you're underplaying yourself yeah. because like you do have that, a, that ability to be a teacher in a, in a really tremendous way, but also lead with warmth. And, you know, I, I think there are a lot of, I get weary of the cool guy uh, TV host trotting around the the world, and and I and I think there's sort of a notable pause in in that, and it's been a pleasure to see sort of who is getting more things and and what that is is going to have. So you know, I, I think it's opened up a really good. I'm really excited to see what happens. Like you know, and right after less than a month after my show came out, like a friend of mine who's a black chef called and said, "Oh, Netflix called me." You know, and I'm like, "That's amazing!" Oh, that's like right you thing. know, like, and I'm like, "It's happening!" Yeah. Like this is good. You know, yeah. I think there had so, to, there had to be a first Julia yeah. child. There had to be all of all of that stuff. But I mean, that's you know a generosity of, of spirit that you have that way. Let's talk about how you uh, you, you came to the show because I think people who hadn't been familiar with the work you'd been doing for such a long time, um, let's let's back up to a meal that you had at Shape and Knees oh, okay. that changed <laughs> your life, and we'll uh, get to how you got to here. So I was I was. Um, at UC Berkeley as a as a writing student as a, as a literature student because I wanted to be a writer and my boyfriend should do that don't do it don't do it don't basically nobody should do anything I do <laughs> cook or write <laughs> like they're all sort of like terrible jobs masochistic in their own way yeah. <laughs> yes yes find a healthy job <laughs> um, but I I wanted to be a writer I didn't know exactly how that would what that could look like or what that I just sort of was in this idealistic bubble yeah. and um, my boyfriend grew up in San Francisco and he had always wanted to eat at Chez Panisse in Berkeley and so we saved our money for seven months we saved 220 bucks <laughs> and we went to eat there and we had this really extraordinary meal where to me above all I felt cared for I mean it was yeah. delicious but I had just never been in a restaurant like that where like every detail is is carefully thought through, you know, and that just felt so wonderful and I felt so inspired. So I wrote a letter and I asked for a job there as a busser, busing tables, and I brought it in and um, they said, oh, you need to bring that to the floor manager. So I brought it over to the floor manager's office and when she opened the door, we recognized each other because she'd been my server the night of the of the dinner. Oh, and wow. So, and we had like this very sweet interaction. And so um, she hired, you know, and in retrospect now as a person who's run restaurants, I'm like, oh, she was desperate because she hired me. And she's like, can you start tomorrow? So, <laughs> <laughs> so I started busting tables the next day and it really was just um, so enchanting to work there. Yeah. It feels, you know, it's, it's, it smells good. It looks so beautiful. Everything tastes good. It's humming. Like I started working there on the 28th birthday, I think was my first day. And it was, it was just by then 28 years of that place existed and it, it systems were developed. Everybody knew what they were doing. A lot of the people who worked there were the first group of people who'd worked there still. So like there was just such expertise in the, in the place and it was so enchanting that I begged them to teach me how to cook. And um, it took a lot of resilience because at first I don't think they really wanted to, but they came around and they did. And I stayed there and um, I noticed that over the days as the menus changed that we were always paying attention to these four elements to salt, fat, acid and heat. And that became um, sort of this system that I filed all of the information that I learned into. And one day I went to the chef and I said, oh, like I see this pattern, salt, fat, acid and heat. And he said, oh, yeah, we all know that. That's how, how we all cook. And who was the chef? Who was <laughs> His name was Chris Lee. That's okay. who really oh, became yeah. okay. my mentor. And so Chris um, Chris was like, we all know that, like, of course. And I, I said, why didn't anyone tell me? And also because they had given me this huge stack of cookbooks to read and cook from at home. And it wasn't in any of those books. And I, I just was like, this is no one told me this. It's not in any of these books. I'm going to write a book about this. The presumed day. knowledge. Yeah. That they had. <laughs> I guess if that's just so baked into that place, which feels I have never been, but I've read all the stuff about it and it feels so pedagogical there so I'm really surprised that that didn't come it up. just was not you know it was a kind of thinking of kind of like systemic thinking 
that I think hadn't occurred to anyone to like specifically articulate. And so I don't like, that's what I always say is I didn't invent anything new. I just discovered or like came up with a different way of talking about it and organizing it. And what's amazing is now all these years later, after I am fast forwarding through a lot, but after I wrote the book, I came and I got my first galley copies. I brought, uh, I brought a few to Chez Panisse and the chefs were like, this is amazing. This is going to be our textbook. Like you captured what we did, what we do here. And we're going to make everyone who works here from now on read this. So I felt like I had done them justice. So that was good. Oh, that's <laughs> such a beautiful thing. And yeah. also that moment when you get that first galley. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. So, um, but in between, what did I do? I, I went to Italy and cooked. I came back and worked for Chris at his restaurant, Ecolo, where I really fig- like discovered that I was unhappy. And that was probably the height of my depression. Yeah. And, and restaurant yeah. life is not conducive it's to... It's brutal. And I wasn't happy and I didn't let the people near me be very happy either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if yeah. you go back at that time, are there people who know you like as a grumpy person, as a... Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. <laughs> for sure. And I have a lot, you know, I've done my best to like make up for the way yeah. that I acted and I've apologized to people. I also think in my memory, it's probably worse than it was in reality. Well, we're all, yeah. a lot of yeah. us are self-flagellating yeah. kind of, of people yeah. and they probably didn't even register. Yeah. So, but um, there were just a lot of pressures on all of yeah. us there that were really, really challenging to deal with and so when the restaurant closed I was ready I was like okay I don't want to work in restaurants anymore I want to write so I started I went back to Chez Panisse and helped out for another couple years but in the meantime I was writing and by then I had taken this incredible class with Michael Pollan who really taught me like everything I about writing and he um and through that class, I got this incredible writing community and journalistic community. And I had already this wonderful food community, but now I knew young writers and filmmakers and audio people. And so through them, I got mo- I, I moved into this little office that we all share in Oakland. And I started treating writing as a real thing, which was very scary to do because oh. at the time I was making like maximum $25 a blog post for yogajournal.com. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't lucrative by any means of the word but at least I had this other skill that I could turn into Mm -hmm. money in order to like pay my bills and eat my food and stuff um and I I just went along with that for a long time and then eventually Michael started um writing a book about cooking so he hired me to teach him how to cook and he wrote about that in the book book it was called cooked okay Yes. And so I'm his cooking teacher, like character in that book. And then when his agent was reading the draft, she said, oh, who's this? She sounds interesting. And does she have an idea? And Michael said, oh, yeah, she has this idea about salt, fat, acid and heat. So he put me in touch with her. And she is one of like the power agents in publishing. Who is it? Her name is Binky Urban. <laughs> I, I've heard that name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what and a so, great yeah, I mean, that's like how powerful you are is your name is Binky. You yeah, know, like, and you can yeah, get away yeah, with yeah, that. Yeah. Like, and so Binky, you know, she sort of looked at what I had. She told me what I needed to do. It took me about a year to do what she wanted. And then I came back to her and she passed me on to the person who's now my agent, this mm-hmm. wonderful, wonderful human called Kari Stewart. And, um, and, sh- and Kari worked with me for a few months to sort of solidify the proposal that I'd really derived from teaching years in, of cooking classes. And, and then we sold the book in 2013. And if you want to talk for a second, book proposals, I, so I know that there are a lot of uh, you know, chefs who think like, oh, I'm going to write a cookbook. I'm going to oh, do yeah. something. <laughs> the, uh, that proposal process to me was in some ways more grueling than some parts of, of writing my my book. I think so too. And I think, you know, I actually got a writing residency to go to for two weeks to work on their proposal. And it was so brutal because it's such a, there. you're not, I mean, at least for me, I wasn't doing that much because I had to do so much thinking to organize how the book would be that I was in this residency with two other writers and every day at the end of the day they would come back and tell me like how many pages they'd written or how many words (laughs) and I was like I wrote three post-it notes like there was it's so much about organization and what everyone what I tell everyone and what everyone told me is that it's worth it to spend the time to make a really thorough well thought out proposal because A it will get you a better book deal and B it will be this important touchstone that you can refer to when you're deep in the writing process of the book and you're lost and you don't remember why you're doing this or what you're doing or what you wanted to do in the first place. It, I mean, it really, I, I actually can't speak to that because my book proposal was an entirely different book and they said, no, toss that aside and actually write this book instead. So I didn't have a proposal. Oh, wow. And I actually in some ways regret that because I've heard everybody who has, you know, a, a book that they did write the proposal for say like you have skeleton already built to lean into. 
Yes and no. I mean, also like many people who I know, their final books, including me, my final book looked a lot different mm-hmm. than the proposal that I had written. And I knew that would happen. Um, and it very much did happen. So yeah, it's interesting because I've now written my second one. And so <gasps> proposal, not book. Okay. Okay. I was like, what are you telling us here, Samin? <laughs> oh, Just wow. proposal. And it looks, and, boom, and it's, it looks and it's so it. different. It's yeah. so, it's, it's much more skeletal than the first one was. Yeah. But now I feel like I've been through it once. So, um, so I have a little bit better idea about how to do, how to do things. So let's talk about the physicality of this process too, because I know that the toll it takes on your body to, um, to write a book, to, I imagine do a TV show, like it's, uh, and then to be dealing with a propensity for depression or anxiety. I don't know if people people who have experienced it know this but other people don't know how physical it is it hurts to have depression it hurts Mm -hmm. to have anxiety and to be mining your life for uh for output like that it's super physical for sure i mean in many many ways so i um on in the most basic level i find writing just writing to be very physical because i think for me even when I'm just writing a story about a recipe that somebody else's, it doesn't even have to be mine. I have to get physically in touch in my body with the way that the feeling that I want to evoke in the writing. Mm-hmm. And so okay. that means getting really quiet, you know, and often like I, everyone at my office makes so much fun of me because we all have like these little sort of like little mini offices in a row. And I have so much bedding in my <laughs> <laughs> I have like pillows and cheap pajamas. Like, I, I don't have pajamas, but I have cozy slippers. Oh. I have a hot water bottle. Like, because <laughs> a lot of the time I have to sort of turn off the lights and lay on the ground. Yeah. And sort of go to this weird like nap slash meditation place until I can zero in on what it is that I'm trying to say. And only once I like can feel that feeling, then I can write toward it. And it took me a really long time to realize that that was what I needed to do mm-hmm. and that there wasn't shame in that. That yeah. even Because a lot of the other people in my office are like incredible writers and reporters for every national publication and best-selling authors. And they appear to write like just boop, 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 Oh my God, I can't. <laughs> so like we all have different processes. Plus for me, I'm an immigrant kid. I'm an over. I'm a natural overworker. I want to please other people. And then I was a cook. And oh my, all of those yes. things force you to be sort of or push you to be somebody who defines yourself by how hard you work and how oh, long yeah. you work and all of that. And so the emotional for, accountant. Totally. So so for me, like after all of those years of cooking, if I didn't work you know, uh, stand on my feet and feel exhausted after for 14 hours, then I felt like I hadn't put in a day's work. But a day of writing can look very different and feel very different. So I I still have some guilt. But in the beginning, I used to have a ton of guilt when I would go to work and sit at a desk and sort of like mess around for a little while or take a nap or whatever, maybe write a page or two. And, And then, you know, or maybe not write a page or two. And and then feel go home and continue feeling guilty. And so because what was that? How could that possibly yeah. be, quote unquote, work when that didn't look anything like what I had known work to be throughout my whole career? Yes. And now I've just learned like, well, my writing process is my writing process. And I can definitely I am a procrastinator. I can speed things up. And I now that I have like a column that has a regular deadline, I'm a lot better at that. But um but I think you just, I have to be, I've had to learn to be a lot nicer to myself. Yeah. So what does that then look like when, so you come out of it, you're, you know, or maybe you're in a better state now that you're in cozy mode, <laughs> but like after a day of shooting where you have to be on, oh, you have yeah. to be present to watch your show is to see you connect with people in a very deep and fundamental way. You're going all day or you're, um, you're, you're tasting things. Then production wraps for the day. You go back to your hotel room. What does that look like for you? I mean, often it looks like paying attention to all the stuff I ignored for the last (laughs) 18 hours. Yeah. So like a lot of emails and a lot of because of the schedule of making that show is really hard because we were we had staggered episodes. So while I would you know, we were finishing, I would finish a very long day in Mexico and go back to the hotel room. And I, then I would need to record a voiceover or like write script or something. So there's usually some more work. And then, um, but also because I have to be not get sick and be able to do it the next day, I did my best to prioritize sleeping, but also I have curly hair. Oh, (laughs) so that takes a lot of like, you have to, you have to wash your hair in this really particular way at night. And like, and dry and it takes forever. And then I would have to wake up and early and put on makeup. It was just, there was time, is 
like a whirlwind when I'm in production, but usually any chance I have to be by myself, being by myself is, is a really, really, really important part of my life, which I didn't really put words to until in the last several years. Mm-hmm. I always have been an ENFP on the Myers-Briggs. Oh my I'm God, like, me too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. I'm like deeply extroverted in a lot of ways. But also, I need to spend a lot of time by myself. We are ambiverts. Yes. That's the word for it. Yeah. And so, I mean, and like I do derive energy from being other pe- around other people. But if I don't have already like some baseline of my own energy, then I, I can't do it. So, you know, I really am a big fan of headphones. Like yes. I think headphones when I'm in the van or whatever with the guy. Like I was just all about like how do I tune out or any time I could just close my eyes and tune out for any amount of time. Even sometimes it was just between takes. Like if I'm, you know, I had to learn how to like moderate my energy so I wasn't always on just like for seven hours straight so that I could, you know, because take it takes a ton of energy. And, the you know, what people don't see is that you have to do everything 15 times. So everything that you saw, I mean, it was genuine. It was me being as like alive and, and vibrant and connecting with people. But I had to do that a lot of times. We had to do that a lot of times every time at the same level. Keeping that energy is yeah, so... Yeah, and that just takes, it takes a lot. It takes a lot. So, you know, and I do my best to eat a lot of vegetables. I do, but... Sometimes it's just not possible based on like where you're traveling or what you're doing. So um, usually that means giving myself like being kind enough to let myself take time off when I come home. And because my my nature is like, don't take any time off. You're already so behind on everything else, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's there's if you've ever been broke, there is a a little hole that never heals mm-hmm. and uh, you know and I, I have this this conversation sometimes with with my husband who's never been like really broke at any point and I have and I know when something I feel like like slightly threatens my career anything I'm doing I go right into yes. austerity mode yeah totally totally and I'm always fighting that because I was born into like a family of immigrants, you know, and like, how do we live on as little as possible? Yeah. And I, um, it's not like I want to live large all the time, Mm -hmm. but I feel like I'm trying to break that habit of just like constant scarcity, you know, (laughs) mindset. And the The funny thing is, is like, yeah. And the funny thing is, is I have very little scarcity mindset when it comes to other people. Mm -hmm. Like I only want to be generous with other people. I only want to share everything I have, all that kind of stuff. And I never want to see other people do it to themselves. But for whatever reason, it's just my MO for myself. I'm like the squeezing. I mean, also I kind of like it. I'm like squeezing the toothpaste out. Oh, absolutely. Like Like the hotel shampoos. (laughs) Like using everything up. It gives me so much joy. Yes, <laughs> getting getting that last little bit out of like the toothpaste, yeah. uh, the whatever. But yeah, there's there's something in there where you like go into that mindset. What was the first time that you had in your life where you felt like some sort of security around finances? Oh, I mean, I think I'm just getting there now, mm-hmm. and like a miracle has happened. A miracle. Can I tell you my miracle? Please tell me your miracle. <laughs> okay. Which is that I am like, I never thought this would happen, but I'm buying a house. Girl. Yeah. Oh my God. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. That I'm is, so excited. I'm so and proud it's of like you. also just the most special <gasps> house. And it happened super out of the blue. I didn't think it was going to ever be possible for me. And I'm starting to tear, yeah, actually. it's, ama- it's, it's, I and everybody who I've told and who I have like, I had to pool resources and figure out how to do it and all this stuff. Every single person has been like, this is amazing. You deserve this. You, this is the best thing you earn this. And the only person who feels like I don't deserve this is me. Yep. And, (laughs) but the the thing I'm realizing is I literally, like the thing that's making a little bit easier is when I look at the money and all the money that's going in and all that kind of stuff, I'm like, oh, I actually did earn this. Like this money is book money. Oh yeah. You know, like I did the work that made this money and I'm buying a house with it and there's no shame in that. Yeah. And so it's, I've, I'm really excited. Like, I'm so excited for yeah, Thank what, you. What's the kitchen like? <laughs> it's actually, you know, it's very beautiful, but it's very little. It's mm-hmm. not that big. Um, but there is a really, really nice stove and there's a dishwasher. I've never had a dishwasher and there's so much natural light. Oh my God. So is it yard yeah, or there's a big, beautiful garden with like, that's shared with four with three other homes and there's um a ton of fruit trees you know like decades old fruit trees and I I was like you guys can we build an outdoor kitchen and they said we've been wanting to so I want to build a pizza oven I can't even imagine how you're excited your neighbors must be that you're gonna be their neighbor and so it's awesome it's cool I've been friends with this whole little group of people for a long time so it's nice like it's like a little 
magical community I get to move into. Um, this is a projection because I want this for you and you may not want it. Can you get a dog? I want to get a dog and I'm going to get a dog. I'm going to get a dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so excited. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk self-care and animals. Oh is my God. Such an the best. Thing. V, my, I have a dog named Penelope. I have a couple dogs, but Penelope has this like loose, soft belly that oh, is, uh, that is like her, I, and I was like cuddled in, in bed with her this morning. She isn't usually in the bed. My husband like let her into the bed when I was uh, sort of still asleep and touching her belly is oh. like Prozac. It's oh my god I, i'm so excited i'm so 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 excited oh my gosh this is a random question just came to me what do you think of yourself as are you an author a teacher a host a, a, does it matter what people i call think it? i'm just me you know for yeah. so many years i was so proud to immediately identify myself as a cook and yeah. i still am proud you to are a cook at, yeah. <laughs> to the core and so that was kind of the ease that was the answer when people asked what i did i said i'm a cook and then at some point i started saying oh i write but yeah. then the questions are like well what do you write about where do you write where mm -hmm. do you where can i read your stuff yeah. and for a lot of years there wasn't a place where you could read the stuff so it was a journey to get myself to feel like i could own being you know calling myself a writer it's, that's a hard which one which is a really I hard know. one and then, um, and now I don't know. I mean, what do people, I don't even know what I, I just, I don't even know. <laughs> I think you get to be so mean. And yeah. I mean, it's the easiest. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Talk to me about this. Is, this is something I actually talked about, um, in an interview, like at, at some point, like, uh, with when Amanda Mall was doing that thing about procrastinating, oh, uh -huh, and, uh -huh. um, and I don't remember if you came up or not, but Alison Roman came up in that. Let's talk about everybody cooking this is such a powerful thing so many people are cooking the same thing at the same I time as you that. made them let's talk about sourdough oh yeah or sorry focaccia focaccia yeah what does that feel like that you made the country I mean, cook together <laughs> that i will say the i mean i didn't have any there was nothing i could really expect yeah from the show because i just didn't know and no one could really tell me oh this many people will watch it or anything and who knew if they would like it so I, I didn't really go into it with any expectations but I did go into it with the very clear idea and goal of getting people to cook and I wanted you know which was why I worked really hard to put up a website with all the recipes so mm -hmm. that people could follow because unlike a lot of the other shows on Netflix that are really beautiful food shows you at the end of those don't feel like you want to go cook whereas yeah. I wanted the feeling here to be like I want to make that thing oh yeah and so I wanted to make it as possible for people as as you know as easy as for people as possible and to see all even still like every time I check up um Instagram there's just like focaccia after focaccia it's after focaccia. Nuts. <laughs> oh my God. it's bananas it's bananas it's amazing and I I can't really wrap my mind around it. I'm so proud. That's maybe one of the things I'm the most proud of. I, I mean, you should because I, and I had been thinking about it with Alison Roman when I was doing this interview about the cookies. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, it's, it's these crazy, these national moments that now can be food moments. Cause like, I, I feel like we lived in a time when everybody say, you know, saw maybe I'm dating myself who shot JR uh -huh. or something like these national moments, right. often based in tragedy. Right. But these national moments when everybody came together and did the same thing. Or watched. bought some I, yeah. Beanie Babies is one I think yes. of like, right. And so how beautiful that it's making something. You know? Yes. And, and it's funny when uh, so anybody says focaccia now, it's like, it's associated with you. That is a legacy. That's that so you, crazy. I didn't really realize that it's to that point. It, it, no, <laughs> it, it really is. Cause I found it. Um, somebody was talking about that recently and then somebody was like, like, oh, you know, that is the Samin factor. Wow, like, wow, wow. And so that is, I can't even imagine. Unbelievable. It's, <laughs> it's going to be a thing then that people pass down too. And people are going to be like, why, why have we always made focaccia? Like, oh, it was because of like this That's particular so thing. That's so cool. I think that is the thing. So let's talk about, because you were a teacher and you want people to know things. What is the legacy you want from this? From everything, sort of the totality of wow. what you do when people have, you know, it's however we're all gone from this earth. <laughs> I don't know yet. I haven't, I, I, I don't know. I can't speak to, the, I don't know that not, I've spent God from time earth, in terms of a legacy, but yeah. I will say like the thing that I hope to like the biggest sort of mark I hope to make maybe is another way of looking at the same question is, um, affecting change, you know? And so, and getting people to change their thinking, whether yeah. it's, I can't cook, you yeah. know, <laughs> and and so maybe I'm changing your thinking or I don't know how to make something taste good or it's I never knew that a person on TV could look like that or 
I didn't think that there was room for me, you know, at that table. And um, it's funny because I, yeah, I am a cook. I love food. I love cooking. But I feel like there's more in my heart that's so much bigger, you know? Yeah. And, and I, and again, like, I'm really grateful that I got the opportunity to make this series. And I always wanted I always thought that that book could be a series and I saw it always in my mind's eye. Um, so I can't believe that it happened and that it happened in this wonderful way. But my life dream was never to be on camera. Like that was not my, that's not my end game. But if I can use what I get from this and the platform that I get from this to affect the thing that I really want, which is to open the world up for so many more people, then I'm going to do that. And yeah. so if, if being on camera again is then going to get me the kind of reputation that then gets me the kind of power and money to then make the kinds of choices, you know, that, um, that I can do to create change in this industry, then I'm going to do that. You know, yeah, <laughs> like I have a, I have a lar I have a large picture view of it all. And I, I, um, I feel really lucky that I I'm meeting people who, who want to work with me on that, you know? Yeah. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. I feel really lucky. Well, the, and that, that is such a great attitude to approach that with like the gratitude. You've also just talked about all these things you want to do for other people. What's the thing you want for Ooh. yourself? Ooh. <laughs> Flip it. <laughs> like interesting. What's the thing you want? Um, that we can say out into the universe oh, wow. right now that get this thing for, for Samina that you can see like, you know, this, this thing that you want in the future. Wow. Um, the thing I really would love, <laughs> but I mean, I'm actually afraid to say this out loud. Yeah. It's all right. Well, it's like Oprah and the, the secret and the, you have to say it. I've been trying to say like say out loud more like what are the things I I want and I was like I wanted to have Robert Smith on my cooking show like you know that's awesome <laughs> so I put that in the universe what is the thing okay I <laughs> I know it's hard I know it's so hard um I you know what I want is I want a boyfriend like I want a partner who's gonna like Everyone come take listening. care of me yes and who'd be so nice to me and is smart and challenging and funny and kind and wonderful I okay. I a, a friend a few years ago, like I, we stood up at a party and said we want to get him an apartment in New York, a job, and a husband. Uh -huh. And like you just ha and various of those things have happened. You have to say it. Yeah, totally. Know. So everyone listen. <laughs> <laughs> I want this for you. I want beautiful. You deserve to be taken care of Thank in a you. really like <laughs> lovely and fun fundamental way. Maybe Oprah will hear. Yeah, maybe Oprah will call me a boyfriend and look it up. What would you tell yourself if um, go back to rewind to the beginning of the process with with the book and the tv show what do you wish you'd known wow i i think i wished i had known i would get to the end and survive oh man <laughs> i think because there were a lot of times i f didn't think that that would happen like i just thought that certainly with the book i thought it was going to kill me like oh. it just was so brutal and you so also yeah that is. i mean for my me mine dragged on for so long it just took so many years of work and research and stuff how and long I, was the process from um, um, beginning to end well i i could count the beginning as when i started like coming up with the idea and making mm -hmm. the proposal so that was like 2011 ish we mm -hmm. sold it in 2013 mm -hmm. and then the book came out in 2017 so it was a lot of years it was a lot of years and it was um it and and in those year you know intervening years like I had many good friends write not one book but two I yep. had a lot of people I knew you know kept saying like you know when's this book so where's this book when's this oh God, book coming the out the worst you know, question there... <laughs> never ask an author how's the book coming yeah, it's like, a terrible question it's terrible 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 so I it was just I I had a, a lot of pressure I felt from the outside and from the inside and it was really hard to believe that I could make the thing that I saw in my mind's eye but you know we did and I will say in terms of the book I owe so much to my illustrator to the woman who oh, illustrated geez. Wendy McNaughton I always call her my illustrator she's not she's an illustrator who <laughs> illustrated my book yeah she's <laughs> and, so ridiculously um, talented she's so wonderful and she was a really like having a partner in it was really important for me and she supported me in so many amazing ways when it looked really like it wasn't going to happen and it was it just felt very impossible and embarrassing for a really long time yeah, <laughs> yeah. and look at it now yeah <laughs> and i mean i was looking at all those like year-end bestseller lists mm. and there it was and uh, and at the big places and at the indie bookstores yeah which was awesome that's like yeah. you see like a kitchen arts and letters yeah. kind of thing and i love it's that a beautiful thing. i love the little guys so much i mean 
And then the TV show, what do you wish you'd known at the beginning of that? I think also, um, also, you know what I wish I had known was that I, I could have and should have spoken up a lot more to advocate for myself. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I know that now, and I know I've learned so much about the idea that like, I might not have the title in a field, um, you know, that gives me the qualifications to do something. I'd never made TV before. I wasn't technically a producer. And I, and people told me, Oh, you're not a producer, like leave it to us. And, and so I did, I ceded a lot of power, you know, and even though I had a lot of ideas about how things should be done and how I wanted things to be done. And I think if I had just believed that I understood, I might not have been a producer, but guess what? Being a cook, if anyone who's worked in a restaurant knows production, you know it by a different name, but it's being organized. It's being efficient. It's working, you know, in a team, making sure that like you're only as strong as your slowest or weakest person. All of those things, you know, it's the kinds of work and thought and organization that takes that it takes to put on an event, which I had done many, many times, yeah. really ambitious events, sometimes international. That's the same as make producing an international show. And so um, I knew a lot, even though I didn't know that I knew a lot. And, um, and I, it's, yeah. And I, I just wish that I, I had had the courage to speak up a little bit more to, you know, cause I think things could have been a lot easier if I had, I had said my piece earlier on in the process, rather than coming back at the end and being like, well, Will, I wish we had done this. I wish we had done this. Can we change this and this and this? You know? <laughs> For next time. Yeah, there's gonna totally. Be, there's going to be a next time. There's going to be something else. I don't know what it will look like. I don't know if it's more of the same show or a different show. Um, but I did enjoy it. And, like, I enjoyed it. And it, it's hard, but I like work hard, hard work. <laughs> I and think I, that's yeah. yeah. And I also like, you know, what's the most sort of... Um, the biggest honor of it all is that like you get to reach so many people yeah. and there's, and so the idea that I have the capacity to do that, like, what am I going to do with that? That's an amazing gift. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to steal something from, I, I'm obsessed with Jonathan Van Ness's podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm going to Me too. I love him. Oh my God. You should be on it. I should be on it. Jonathan Van Ness. Jonathan Van Ness, <laughs> please. I bet you would, you would heartbeat. Oh my gosh. I actually heard you talked about on, um, pop culture happy hour. Oh, awesome. I love pop culture. I love Linda things. Holmes shouted you out. Oh, that's, Thing so that made awesome. her happy that oh week. that's so awesome yeah <laughs> i it, think i heard that one yeah <laughs> I, that is my favorite thing but he always asks like you know it's yoga class like you know you're wrapping up do you is there a shoulder stand you wish what do you wish i had asked you oh, that we want to talk about oh um i mean just because you're you and i'm me yeah let's and go. we just have one moment let's, let's to discuss antidepressants <laughs> yes let us do that so yeah. i if if you want me to talk, so i i had a bad spiral last summer especially after the death of anthony bourdain mm -hmm. when i was spending a lot of time on the road uh talking to a lot of other people about what they were going through and not taking care of myself and away from my um, my support system my therapist was on vacation and all all this stuff and i spiraled i had a month-long panic attack Ugh. it was awful i can't imagine and like being in hotel rooms uh like away from that like stuff stuff got dark it got yeah. really you know and I, I reached out to a few people and i will especially shout out i reached out to um, Andrew Zimmern and Hugh Atchison, who uh, were there to, with a safety net, like basically emotional That's safety net. And I will always be grateful to them for that. And I got back home and I couldn't calm my body down. And um, because of the writing of actually a food and wine colleague of, of mine, Maria Yagoda, she had written about ADHD and what that looks like in women as opposed to like young boys who you think of um, with that. And I went to a doctor and we sort of opened up the conversation because so much anxiety is based in ADHD. He prescribed me Vyvanse. Within 40 minutes of taking the first one, my brain felt better than it had in recent memory, probably in the last decade. I hadn't wow. been on meds for 11 years because wow. so I'd been on one that almost killed me going off. Wow. Um, so yeah, so Vyvanse is really, it gave me my brain back. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, that makes me so happy. That's yeah. so awesome. Yeah. And it's, and it's been 
a really great thing, except when my pharmacy has been weird about filling it because they treat you sometimes like a junkie oh. when you're because because it's the, the oh, thing. Oh right, oh right. Yeah, okay. the thing is, if you don't have a brain where uh, this is going on, it can it just speeds you. Yeah. Uh, but because it just sunk right into all those jumpy bits oh. of my brain. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, you, and you've gone on a journey with this too. Yeah, I mean, I uh, luckily, I mean, I more just had resistance to taking I medicine at all because I years. thought that it would. Um, change me and I wouldn't be sensitive and creative anymore is really what I was worried about because I thought that like the pain was an important part and the most yeah, you know like the that. feelings was a really important part of With who I was thumb that I oh yeah <laughs> just showed her my gross yeah. thumb that I pick <laughs> and so but it took a friend who it was actually my friend Tamar Adler she's the, oh, yeah she's so, so awesome. wonderful and she came to visit and so she hadn't seen me in a while and so when she saw me she was like oh you're depressed and you have to take the medicine yeah. because my therapist was kind of suggesting it but not mm-hmm. not like demanding it you know and then there were other people who had suggested it and I always was like no 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 it's I just have to work harder I have to try harder yeah and so um she was like no no it's nothing that you can do like you just need to take this medicine your brain isn't going to make those yeah. chemicals for you and so I it still took me a bit, but she was actually still there when I got the prescription and then I had the bottle and I was like, oh, what do I do? Yeah. And she said, come with me. And so we went to lunch at Chez Panisse. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty funny, but we went to lunch at Chez Panisse and she was like, watched me take the first mm-hmm. one. To, and then my doctor made the really wise recommendation. He told me, don't, um, don't read the side effects. Yes. Do not Google the side effects because if I had Googled the side effects, I would, he was like, you'll start thinking that you're having them all. <laughs> That's such smart. Advice. Yeah. The other thing I did and, and, uh, I, I hope she's okay about me talking about this. If not, I will check with her and we will cut this out. Um, I consulted, I asked Helen Rosner and she texted me throughout the whole process and, you know, and I let her know how I was doing throughout it. And she was a, a rock. That's awesome. During it to have somebody to uh, go through this with mm-hmm. was really, really huge. I really haven't had any side things. Um, me it, neither. It's been really, um, so I don't know if this is airing before or after the podcast with Billy Durney, but he talked about the process of taking them and he explained it to a resistant friend as it's vitamins for your brain. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I mean, within a week, I felt that like that rock that had been in my belly since I was a teenager was gone, which was the first time in my life that. Yeah, it was amazing. And of course, there's been ups and downs. Of course, I still have my feelings. Yeah. But there's just a kind of a weight that I don't have to carry every day because of it. So I'm really grateful. Oh, I'm so glad you brought this up. Yeah. (laughs) So I have five questions that I ask everybody. And I I think they're they're pretty fun. Um, Let's see. What is. First one is probably easy. What's your comfort food? Rice. Ah, what <laughs> any form? I mean, rice in any form. I love I love jasmine rice in the rice cooker, but I'm Persian, so I love Persian rice. I love risotto. I love. I mean, really any kind of rice. Yeah. So we're looking for a boyfriend who can cook rice for you. Sounds good. Oh yeah. my gosh, I love that. I love that so much. What's the last meal that you had that made you emotional? Um. Ooh, this is a good one. Um. So I just had to do an elimination diet. Oh, same. And then ah. the day after I came off, oh, I was in the desert where there was like no bread. I had had like no anything. And then I just, all I really wanted was bread and butter. So I asked my friend Vinny, who's the manager of Tartine, like and Tartine Manufacturing in San Francisco, to FedEx me a loaf of bread oh my in the God. desert. So he sent me a loaf of bread and I had like Kerrygold butter. And I just, I like sat there in the sunlight and it was so special. And I felt really loved because my friend had done this kind of extraordinary thing. And so, yeah, it was really good. Also, <laughs> yet again, Samin is good at having the right people in her life. So that's totally. Good what is the last meal that somebody cooked for you in their home? Ooh, um, okay, where are we? I'm in New York. Oh, on two nights ago, I, I, the day I got here to New York, I um, was staying with my friend. I'm staying with these friends I always stay with in Brooklyn. And so we had roast chicken mm. with like, garlic that was like um, pounded into a paste and stuffed under the skin. That was really tasty. And a whole bunch of roasted vegetables and green salad and then we had chocolate for dessert it was oh, so good like so <laughs> lovely <Yeah. laughs> oh that's so be- it, it's funny because like I, I i think you run with a, a very nurturing crowd i asked so many cooks and chefs that question they're like nobody cooks for me oh. i'm like oh <laughs> my god i want better things for them um this question this is also using the secret because i want you to say this so it will happen what living musician do you want to cook for and what would you cook for them Ooh. Ooh. 
uh, Beyonce. <gasps> what would she cook for Beyonce? <laughs> Whatever she wants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but like, what is the dish of your heart? Um, Kelly Fields got to cook for Beyonce at her oh restaurant, and she said she actually came up to her with a skillet full of cornbread and accidentally bowed and like genuflected <laughs> to Beyonce with cornbread. I'm like, that's what you do. <laughs> um, I mean, probably I know that they, I mean, Oh, I'm like, I'll make whatever. I'm like, I've lost my words even, no. but probably roast vegetables with some delicious, like just some sort of a delicious like sauce. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like beautiful vegetable salad with herbs and yeah. Oh my gosh. So we have a whole crew of like John Van Ness and Oprah and like <laughs> totally. all these or, and, and, and Beyonce. Um, and the last one, you have five uninterrupted minutes for self-care. What do you do? Um, probably well this is a really waste of water but probably take a bath yeah the best (laughs) yeah Yeah. so what is it do you have a bath ritual um i like very very hot baths i do love an up some salt situation and then i usually bring either like some sort of a screen so i can watch tv or listen to music or a podcast oh my gosh like gilmore girls and beyonce basically oh my god samin you are i'm so grateful for your time oh thank you for having me yes thank you so much today to our guest samin nostrad you can find her book salt fat acid heat everywhere books are sold ideally independent bookstores are really great you can watch her show on netflix and she is on instagram and twitter at ciao samin ciao spelled like c i a o and you can find links to everything in the episode description thank you to our producers jennifer martnick alicia cabral and amy frank thank you to douglas wagner for our delightful theme song if you like what you heard please tell a friend write a review or rate us however they rate on the uh, (laughs) podcast platform you're listening to if there's something you'd like to us to talk about or a guest you'd like to hear from, please let us know. You can find me on Twitter at Kitten with a Whip. Find out more about the show and catch up on all the episodes of Communal Table at foodandwine.com and Food and Wine's YouTube page. Thanks for listening and take good care of yourself till the next time. Yay! <laughs>